Our scripture today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of students, of stewards, that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we come to you and we confess that we're needy people. And we confess our hope and our trust in you, that you are a good and generous God. So Lord, would you speak to us? Would you meet with us here? Um, no matter where we're at this morning, Lord, uh, whatever our situation is, whatever burdens we come and are sitting here with, would you speak to us through your word? Or would you cause us to put our faith and trust in what you have given us through Jesus, that we would have life, that we would be saved, that we would know the goodness of living life here in this world uh, with you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a time in my life, uh, a long time ago, it feels like at this point right now, where I trusted my own judgment about myself more than I do currently. I've come to see, maybe like some of you guys have come to see that um, what once you thought was a certain judgment about certain things and maybe an intuition that you had to evaluate a given situation can be spectacularly wrong sometimes. And actually a friend of mine has come to know this as well and her stories are funnier than mine. So I'm going to tell her stories this morning. So one time to illustrate this, a friend of mine came to realize the fallibility of her judgment as she walked into a room and evaluated the situation in front of her, right? She saw this nice big smile. She saw a bit of a, a belly. She saw a woman of childbearing age. And she began to congratulate this woman, hand on belly, that, that she was with child. Oh, this is so exciting. This is lovely. <laughs> Only to be wrong. <laughs> Not one time did this happen to my friend, but not two times, but three times. Did it three times before she finally learned her lesson that maybe I need to not walk into a situation and evaluate it so confidently and wind up here. The last time, hilariously, uh, the woman responded, it's just fat, honey. <laughs> it's just fat. To be honest, it's really fun to laugh at my friend. I know who she is. You guys don't. I'll keep her anonymity here. Um, but it's less fun to laugh at ourselves when we've made the error. And it's less fun, to be honest, in the day-to-day -day situations that we get ourselves into on the regular when we trust in our judgment and screw it up. For example, it's usually a lot more painful than this. Um, usually it's the kind of thing that I experience as a father looking at a situation with my kids 
when I evaluate what's going on and maybe raise my voice quite loudly and, and intervene in the situation only to find out that I've really assessed the situation wrongly. I have to go and apologize to my children and to, to try to repair the relationship as Arian's telling me, Dad, I don't like it when you speak like that to me. <laughs> and it's on me because I was so wrong. It also works out in our lives that our judgment can be wrong when we evaluate uh, a path of life that appears to be wise. If I go down this path and pursue these things, it's going to work out well for me. I'll taste a bit more of that flourishing life that I'd like to have. But then you kind of get down that road and, and you find that you're just reaping more hurt and more pain in your life and in the lives of those around you as a result of your own lack of judgment. You see, we have a problem with the fallibility of our own judgment as human beings. And this morning, as we look at the passage that Stephen read for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, my prayer is that we would begin to gain a better perspective about ourselves, about our lack of wisdom and the fallibility that we have to judge in this world. And my prayer also is that we begin then to put hope in something so much better than our judgment. That we begin to trust in a judgment that is greater and better than ours, the judgment of God. But first, before we start to look at these sorts of things, and I, before I give you the outline, let's look at a word of context. I just want to remind you of where we are in the letter. So far in the letter that Paul wrote, this letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he's been responding to a report that he's heard about divisions in the Corinthian church. He heard this report from Chloe's people, he says, and now he's responding to the divisions that he hears are just wreaking havoc in the church. And the problems that the Corinthians had begun to churn away from the simple beauty and humility of the wisdom and the power of God that's shown for us in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's this wisdom and this beauty and this power that has been at work changing the world by the Holy Spirit of God working in his people as we learn to live the humility of God shown to us through Jesus. The sacrificial love of God shown to us through the cross of Jesus together as a community. And they're turning away from that to thinking, well, maybe that was fine for a time, but it's not good enough right now. And instead, the Corinthians are entrusting in what we humans trust in all the time. What we trust in all the time is ourselves. We trust in ourselves. And they're beginning to put their trust in the flowery rhetoric of certain speakers. Ah, they speak very well. I will trust in them. They begin to put their, their hope and their trust into sophisticated sounding teachers that are not offensive to their own culture. Ah, they say the right things in the right kinds of ways. Let's put our trust and our hope over there. They're putting their trust and their hope for more life and growth in their church and in their lives by gaining status, by being associated with the right kind of person. And they're boasting about these things. And their wisdom and their power, they're comparing then themselves and the, and the teachers that they're associating themselves with, with the kind of teachers that other people are associating themselves with. And like, we're better than you. You're not as good as us. It's creating these divisions and it's wreaking havoc in the church. And through all of this, Paul's been working hard in these last three chapters to correct the Corinthians, to teach them about the wisdom of God and to show them that every servant in the church, every leader in the church is just the servant of God. They're just servants of God. And he's been using metaphor after metaphor after metaphor to illustrate this. So there's the apostles and other church leaders that you want to boast about in your human wisdom. They're just farmers. 
They're just farmers in God's field, laboring away as God in his grace and his mercy gives the growth. They're just builders, building away on the foundation that God provided according to the instructions that God gave about wisdom shown in the humility and the love of the cross. And they must build rightly. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. And now, in the beginning of our passage, Paul circles back around to what he said already in chapter 3, verse 5. And he kind of says the same thing again, that Christian leaders are just servants of God. We're servants. It's the servants of God. Not people to boast about, but people who serve to the glory of God. And what's needed then from a servant is really just this, faithfulness. What's needed from a servant is faithfulness as they live in the freedom of the perfect judgment of God, their master. This is going to be our outline this morning. We're going to look at two things, faithfulness and freedom. The faithfulness of a servant and the freedom of trusting the judgment of God. So look at our first point, faithfulness, and Paul's words in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, this is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So when we look at this text and Paul says that we must think of the leaders himself as an apostle and the other leaders in the Corinthian church as servants. I think that we're familiar with what a servant is. I think some of us even in this room come from cultures where perhaps in our, our country of origin, we had servants in our family households. And for the rest of us, we've just watched Downton Abbey a couple of times. Right, right, and we and we know a little bit about servants. That servants have a helping and a supportive role to the homeowner, to the master. Servants' jobs are to help the other person, the, the master, the household owner, whomever it might be, to achieve their goals and their wishes. So that's I think fairly clear for us. But on the other hand, we have trouble with that word steward. And if you're like me, you probably just think of an airplane uh, flight attendant. When you think of steward, right? But that's not what Paul had in mind. Paul was not talking about stewards in that way. A steward is not somebody who serves double whiskeys on long flights to businessmen. A servant is somebody who manages, or a steward is somebody who manages a household. This is the ancient idea of a steward. And one excellent scholar on 1 Corinthians named Anthony Thistleton, he summarized the work of an ancient steward this way. I'm going to read it for you. So this office of steward, it normally included responsibility for overseeing a household budget, purchasing accounts, resource allocation, collection of debts, and general running of the establishment, but only as instructed within guidelines agreed by the employer of the head of the house. So I think that we could get carried away a little bit and try to parse out all the differences between a servant and a steward and what's going on here. But I think there's really a, a main point that Paul's making, a bottom line. And the bottom line in saying that the leaders in the church are servants and stewards is to point out that stewards and servants are people who are accountable to someone other than themselves. They're accountable to someone other than themselves. They're accountable to their masters for the way that they do their jobs. Paul says in 4.1, this is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. I want to just stop here for a second, though, and, and point out 
how remarkable this is. It's actually remarkable that the leaders of a movement would call themselves servants like this. In human history, when else do we look at, at the leaders of a movement or an organization and see them have this sort of humility in their relationship to what's being done through them? Right? I mean, I'm thinking about Larry Page right now. Google's changed the world. Okay, but Larry Page, one of the founders of Google, I don't think that he goes around calling himself, you know what, I'm just a servant of the internet. I don't think that he has that orientation to things. There's a remarkable humility here where Paul sees himself as an apostle, somebody who's been sent by Jesus, somebody commissioned by the God-man, God incarnate, Jesus Christ, to go and to begin building this church that will change the world, that will bring the message of salvation and a true life into this world. And he sees himself as a servant, I'm just a servant of Jesus. I'm willing to lay my life down and suffer for him. I am his servant. I've been entrusted with faithfully communicating God's mysteries, not my own, not my wisdom, but his. And for Paul and the other leaders to be stewards and servants, it means they don't get to go around doing whatever they want in their ministries. It's not how they're to live their lives. Look at verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. See, Paul was called to be faithful to a wise and to a good God. He was not called to be faithful to the Corinthians' preferences for him. That's an important distinction. Faithful to the God who's called him. He's not called to be faithful to the preferences of the people he serves. And the problem in Corinth is that the Corinthians were looking around at Paul and Apollos and Cephas, and they were passing judgment on them. Right? They had lots of opinions about these servants that God has sent to their church. <laughs> you know, Paul's teaching, I mean... His rhetoric's not up to stuff, man. I don't know that I want to be associated with someone like Paul who doesn't speak very well. Maybe someone else is saying, well, you know, Peter, you know, Peter's just from the backwoods in Palestine and he's not sophisticated enough for me. You know, his message isn't quite the way that I, I think that we should be communicating this thing. Maybe others are looking at Apollos, right? They're saying, hey, Apollos, on the other hand, you know, he's, he's a Greek like us. What can I say? The Greeks know about their philosophy. Sounds pretty good. And they're making these judgments. The Corinthians are comparing these leaders and comparing themselves against others. And it just reeks of their pride. Besides, Paul doesn't even measure up well by their judgment at all. He keeps insisting about the crucifixion of Jesus. Meanwhile, they're trying to think, well, how do we get by in society if we keep following Paul? Because he says that that the God we serve is a crucified God. And when I brought that up last time at the local bathhouse, I mean, like it didn't go over very well, right? Because what other Greek or Roman God got himself crucified? How foolish and weak is that? Right? And we're still, of course, they're bothered by Paul's lack of uh, flourish, flourished or well, um, well-spoken uh, good rhetoric in the way that he spoke to them. And the bottom line was that Paul was a little embarrassing to them. Paul was embarrassing. 
But Paul doesn't care. Paul really doesn't care. He speaks to them bluntly in verse three. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. You know, I think we have trouble with this translation. The, the translators are trying to really carry forward the, the Greek words here to communicate their point by inserting that word very. But I think we're so used to the word very in our language today that the only way we can understand what Paul's saying here is if we add a couple more varies. So let me try and read it again. But with me, it's a very, very, very small thing to be judged by you. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think because my goal isn't to please you, Corinthians. I'm not aiming to please you. Now, can we just stop there for a second and point out how refreshing Paul's words are? I think a lot of us would do well to care a lot less about what other people around us think. I know I would. Because if I were Paul, just speaking from being a pastor and what my temptations are here in, in this room with, with all of you, if I were Paul, I'd just be tempted to sign up for Toastmasters. Right? Like, uh, let's just improve this, this public speaking thing already and, you know, and suit, suit the needs of my, of my listeners. That's what I want to do. I, I'm tempted with that all the time here in this room to, to adjust the message that I'm called to be faithful to in the Bible to suit the preferences of those around me. But not only does Paul care little about their judgments of him, and that's refreshing. He also says he doesn't even trust his own judgments about himself. That's remarkable. Look at verses three to four. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. You know, I think once upon a time, I would have read these words where he says he's not aware of anything against himself. And I would have assumed that that meant that he just thought he was perfect. But that's not really what he's saying. He's, he's, he's pointing out the way that, that his own judgment isn't perfect. That there are things that, that he's not even able to judge about himself and his own heart. He's got to entrust those things to be judged by God because he doesn't even have perfect insight over his own life. And that's refreshing. <laughs> it's refreshing to, to see someone who doesn't trust the opinions of others and their judgments, but trusts God and doesn't even trust their own opinions and inner thoughts and judgments of themselves, but even leaves those things to God. See, Paul leaves his successes and his failures with God's judgment. Look at the second half of verse four and then read verse five as well. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. And this is a very sobering verse for us. Our judgment is imperfect about others, about ourselves. But there is a time that is coming when Jesus Christ will return. The Bible is crystal clear about this teaching. 
And again, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us feel, it's the truth of God's word for us this morning, that he will return, that we will stand before him, that Jesus will judge us. And that when he judges us, it's going to be a perfect judgment, not just of external actions, but even of the secrets of our hearts. I mean, today, when we're talking about justice, video footage is really uh, the top tier evidence that we can have, right? Make a big deal about dash cam footage, about body cam footage. We need to realize that what Paul's talking about here is a judgment that comes from Jesus that is so much more insightful than a video. It's talking about judgment that's like a spotlight that shines on even the darkest, hiddenest corners of our hearts, even on the things within us that are operating all the time. I, I relate to this, maybe you can as well, the, the sense that, that you're aware that maybe there's some other desires that are going on within you, even in your best moments, kind of aware that they're there, maybe not always able to put your finger on them, but Jesus will see those things perfectly. He's going to bring to light all of those things with perfect clarity. So Paul urges, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. You don't see things perfectly. Before the Lord comes, we will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. You see what's happening here? The Corinthians are in this funky place where they're, they're trusting their own judgments, their own wisdom and assessment of Paul and the other leaders in the church. And Paul is just calling their judgments into question. He's pointing out that they're insufficient to judge things rightly. Certainly by their own wisdom, it's not enough. And he's calling them to live then in light of a future judgment. To live knowing that there is a God who sees things perfectly and he will judge. He says, judge nothing then before the time. I think there's a couple of implications that we need to wrestle with here. I want to share them with you. And the first implication that is this. I, I think we need to embrace this reality here at this church that we're not objective judges. And I think it would really help us if we just did one thing. There's probably lots of things we could do if we embrace that fact, but one thing would be this. Stop, stop, stop judging the motives of the people around you. Because you don't know what they are. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about those times when you see someone do something and maybe you say to yourself or to someone else, you know what? I know why he did that. I know why he did it but you don't. You don't know it. You know, it's easy for us to build a narrative in our heads. You know, I know why she didn't say hi to me this morning. It's because I was at Joey's house last night and she's jealous, right? And you kind of build the narrative in your head and you kind of keep going and you add, add to that narrative. And before you know it, that narrative's taken on its own life in your own heart based off of your flawed judgment. I do this all the time. I'm sure you do it as well. Am I alone? I'm not alone. We would do well. We would do well if we stopped judging the motivations and the hearts of the people around us. And if we entrusted 
those people and those situations to God. I think there's a second implication because we often feel very strongly. And I think we put a lot of weight and a lot of trust in how we feel in the moment. And I think what this passage alerts us to is that our feelings and our subjective emotions are so deceptive. And to live our lives based of our feelings and our judgments of ourselves or of other people, man, it's a hard way to live. And there's a better way to live that Paul's calling us to. Instead, to trust the judgment of God. I want to share a quote with you just really quick that's, uh, again, from the same commentator, um, commentator, Anthony Thistleton, about this particular passage where he's urging that we need to be a bit more cautious about trusting our own judgment. He says this, Thus a person's conscience may be oversensitive and overreact, or undersensitive and underreact. Thus Paul can place no trust in the relativity of human conscience as over against the absolute verdict of God. So instead, we should act wisely on the basis of God's word and entrust ourselves, I think, to his perfect judgment. So I think we need to clarify some things here, though, because we, we hear this, and I think that we hear in passages like this one, okay, then don't judge at all. And I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I don't think that his point is that we should all go get an only God can judge me tattoo at the end of the gathering. Like, I, I don't think that's what he's saying, walking around as if judgment doesn't matter at all. After all, to clarify, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians and things are just about to get real in chapter 5. So stick around if you want to hear some real exciting stuff from the Bible. Because in chapter 5, verse 3, he says this. He says, For though absent in the body, I'm present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Where Paul himself judges somebody in the congregation in Corinth from Ephesus, miles and miles away. And then he even goes on and encourages the people in Corinth to judge one another according to the wisdom of God in the Bible. He says it in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 to 13. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is, not, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Then there's a distinction. Paul's talking about true judgment. This is an internal conversation. He's not talking about trying to judge people on the streets of Vancouver. We're not to do that. It's talking about an internal conversation here in the church about living in a certain way where there is a right judgment made with wisdom here. I'm sure if Paul was here this morning, he would encourage us, no, 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 you should be working together to exhort and encourage one another, to even practice church discipline together so that you would grow up in the wisdom of Jesus. So you'd grow up together as a community that is pure and holy to God. There is a certain kind of judgment, but you must be so humble in that judgment merciful and gracious, knowing that all of your judgments as human beings are fallible and there is only one perfect judge. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. And Christ, I want to encourage you this morning. 
If we do this, if we entrust true judgment to God, it's going to be good for us. It's going to lead to this community growing and flourishing together in the gospel. We'll begin to live in, the, in freedom from the tyranny, and it is tyranny, of our own judgments. I want to show you what I mean, because we need this freedom. Let's turn to our second point now, freedom. And I want to consider some of the ways that things grow wrong when we trust in our judgment before looking at, at the freedom that comes from living in the gospel and trust in the judgment of God. Look what happens when we trust in our own judgment. <laughs> what happens is that when things go well in our lives, when we do some good stuff, we inevitably become proud and conceited and self-satisfied if we live trusting in our own judgment, right? So if you have had the kind of week or the kind of day where you've shared about Jesus with somebody, maybe you helped someone move after that, then you went home and you made dinner for your roommate, Things are going real well. And you're, you're thinking, man, I am feeling good. I am evaluating my actions and I am feeling good about myself. And what happens is you start to depend upon your actions for your feelings of how you feel about yourself. I've done good. God must love me because of what I've done. And what happens is that you start to have these good works that um, Pastor Tim Keller calls damnable good works. And they're the kind of works that, that take you away from trusting in Jesus at all. You're like, man, I am, I am a good Christian, right? Like I, I do stuff real well, right? And I'm going to, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know I need Jesus, but he kind of got me rolling. And then he just kind of set me on my own two feet. And now I just depend on myself. I'm doing, I'm doing some good stuff here. And you feel that way right up until the day when you just don't feel so well anymore, <laughs> right? Right up until the day when, when you woke up that morning and the first thing you did was sin. And you're just conscious of it, right? Maybe, maybe you're making breakfast and you just let loose on your roommate or your spouse or your kid. And then the things throughout the day kind of go from bad to worse. And you get home and you're feeling pretty crappy so what do you do? You medicate. You start to self-medicate with whatever it is that's easy for you to self-medicate with. And you feel worse about yourself because you know what you're doing is it's just not good. This is not where I should be going, not what I should be doing. And what happens then? You live in guilt and shame, right? If you kind of are conscious of the gospel somewhere in the back of your head, you think of God kind of as, as this angry father who tolerates you at best. But you just feel so awful by your own judgment. And that's just the bad stuff that comes from living by our judgments of ourselves. It's not just bad to live by our judgments of ourselves. It's bad in so many ways, even when we judge others based on our evaluation. Right? Like the Corinthians, we can live in this community and we can start to judge people based off of our own human wisdom, our own evaluation and our own standards. And we can include them in the community or exclude them in the, from the community or include them in our lives and relationship or exclude them based on arbitrary things by our human wisdom. Right? Things like wealth or status or outward beauty or lifestyle or likability, or the politics that somebody holds. And we can 
determine their inclusion or their exclusion in our lives based on those things. And we can judge those people too when we see good things in their lives, right? And we can begin to do other bad things when we see the good things. We can say, oh, you know what? They're doing pretty awesome. I'm going to pedestalize them. Oh, they're amazing, right? Now I want to suck up to that person because I want to be associated with them because they're just so amazing in my eyes. And then we set ourselves up for this huge disappointment when they fail. Christ said, he never meet your heroes, right? You meet, your, you meet your heroes and you realize, man, all that pedestalization, it's worked out pretty poorly. They're just a human being. And if we rely on our judgment, then when we see their screw-ups, other people's screw-ups, well, then what happens? We condemn them. We exclude them. We say, you are unworthy of being here. But Christ City, it doesn't have to be this way because there's this glorious freedom in living under the good news of God's love for us in Jesus and trusting ourselves to his judgment. It is a better way. You see, God, we've been learning, sees us more deeply and more truly than we see ourselves. He sees us with his perfect insight and light that just cuts through us cuts through the thick of all the the barriers or to try to hold up all the time to other people. He sees right through those things. And if we stood before him and if all the Bible taught was that he sees us perfectly, standing before him then would be terrifying. But Paul's already been teaching us throughout the letter that the cross of Jesus is so powerful and wise precisely because it's not what God has done. He's not just seen us perfectly. No, the cross is powerful and wise because it's the thing that God has used to save sinful people that God knows fully, people like you and I. Because through the cross, God shows us that he sees you as you really are. And yet he loves you. He sees you into those dark corners. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he accepts you. And he delights in you to the point of willingly becoming human in the person of Jesus Christ. To the point of becoming human and taking his own justice that you deserved on his own shoulders so that you could be forgiven and welcomed home in relationship with him so that you could be loved. He fully knows you, he loves you, and he gives you everything that you need in Jesus. That's good news for us. And because of this good news, we can entrust ourselves to God's judgment. We don't need to see it as a terrifying thing. We have all that we need in Jesus. We're loved and provided for in him so we can trust this judgment from God. I want want you to think about how this works out as good news in our lives. Let's kind of play the reverse of what we just went through a second ago. When we rest in God's judgment of our good actions, it's so good for us. It frees us from our pride. Rather than doing good and just being so proud as we live by our evaluation, no, we trust God's judgment of our lives and we entrust ourselves to him. We don't make more of our good actions than we should. And we're not going to hang our hat on any one of them. We serve the Lord. 
We thank him for his grace and his kindness that's equipped us to do what he's called us to do. And then we wake up the next morning and we just start a new day. We don't make more of it than we need to. We know there's going to be things in that day that maybe we aren't evaluating rightly, but we don't need to worry about it. Because there's a good God who's going to judge those things and he will do what is right and he's given us what we need in the gospel. We can trust him and we can live, verse 5, judging nothing before the time, serving in freedom and in joy. On the other hand, when we rest in God's judgment of our bad actions, Christ City, it frees us from despair. It frees us from shame. Because no matter how badly we're feeling in that moment, we're just doing poorly when we see our sin clearly in front of us. We remember not how we feel, not our subjective judgment, but the objective judgment of God through Christ Jesus, his son, who's been provided for us. So we are forgiven, so we are made righteous in Jesus, so we are accepted and delighted in because of Jesus. So we confess our sins and we're confident that God forgives us and we move on to live another day in service for him. And when we entrust others to God's judgment, it helps us as well. It frees us from having to hero worship all the time. We have one savior, the man, Jesus Christ. We don't need to find another human leader who will be that savior or that figure in our lives. Now we have Jesus. All of our leaders are just leaders. They're just servants in God's church. And when we see them do well, we can rejoice in how they're doing well. When we see one another do well in this church, we can just rejoice without jealousy that they're doing well. Because I have everything that I need in Jesus. He's given me all that I need. So I can rejoice with those who rejoice. I can weep with those who weep. And I can entrust all to the judgment of God. And then when I see other people around me in this church, in my community, screw up, full of sin, I don't need to condemn them. We don't need to condemn one another. Instead, what we do is we live the mercy and the grace of God that we've received in Jesus. We've tasted in Jesus. And we extend it to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Showing mercy to one another as God in Christ has shown mercy to us. And it means that we look around this room and there's nobody here who's a lost cause. There's nobody who can come in off the street who we determine is on the beginning, on the first entrance, is not worthy of being here because we know God's grace, that it transforms, that it goes deep, that it is available to all. And we can live generously, sharing the love of God we've received with them and trusting everything to his perfect judgment. You see, Christ, there is freedom in living under the judgment of God. There is freedom in living that way, trusting the gospel, the good news of what he's provided for you in Jesus, and entrusting that there will be a day when you stand before him and he will see things as they are. Look at verse five one last time. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. 
You know what can cause us to be people who begin to entrust ourselves to God's judgment? You know what it is? It's, it's only one thing. It's only one thing. It's knowing his goodness. It's tasting his goodness for us through Jesus. That's it. Knowing his goodness, tasting his goodness for us in Jesus and all the love and the grace and the mercy that he gives us in Jesus, it can cause us to begin to entrust ourselves to him. It's only as we begin to see God's wisdom and love for us through Jesus to delight in that wisdom and that grace and that mercy to worship him for it that we'll begin to entrust ourselves for him. And then when that happens, you know what's going to happen? Then we'll begin to serve him faithfully as his servants. And we'll become like Paul. We'll stop caring so much what, what one another thinks of us. Because we know our God and we know how good he's been to us and we love him. And I want to live for him more than for any of you. And I want you to feel the same way as you entrust yourself to the goodness of God. Know his love for you and live for him faithfully. So this, so this morning, I have a question in conclusion. It's just this, whose judgment do you trust in? Are you trusting in your judgment? Or are you trusting in the good and generous judgment of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord? I want to invite you to live humbly and trust that judgment. Trust the gospel of what he's provided for us in Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you right now that you are so good and generous to us. Lord, you've given us everything in Jesus. You said in the previous passage that all things are ours who trust in Christ. Lord, we know that, that we have forgiveness with you. We have new life with you. You are working by the power of your Holy Spirit to change us from the people we are this morning to become more like Jesus tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. We know that all things in our lives are working out for good because of your grace and your kindness for us in Jesus. Father, we know that we have an inheritance that is, that is imperishable, unfading and kept in heaven for us. Lord, we know that you are good. And so, Father, we ask, would you work on our hearts in this morning to cause us to not trust in our judgment, which is so fallible, but to trust in yours? to cause us to live in light of your gospel, to serve faithfully as your servants. In Jesus' name, amen.